Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. My name is Sean Tiber. I am a coder who teaches. And my name is Kelly Schuster Paredes, and I'm a teacher who codes. This is episode 50, believe it or not. Uh, that was going to be my win this week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Episode 50, this week we're going to be talking about teaching robotics with Python. So something that we, I, can, I think, hint at every now and then, but it's something we want to dive into in a little more detail this week about how Kelly and I teach robotics to some of our students as an elective class in our middle school. Yeah, it's really exciting. I'm ready to share this idea that we've been developing. Well, it's something that we weren't expecting to do or wasn't something that was intentional, but has been thrust upon us with, with coronavirus. This is something we've had to adapt and change based on changing requirements for our school. So it's a pretty interesting topic, and we're taking things very differently than we have in the past. Absolutely. So, so we doing wins of the week? Let's do it. So uh, should we flip a coin? Who gets to go first this week? You can go first. You oh, okay, took mine well. when I was going to say episode 50 was my win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a pretty big win. I, I think this week for me, the, the win has been the smart classroom project I've been doing on the side as my kind of productive procra procrastination when I need a break from doing other things is shaping up really nicely. And essentially what I've done is use the Python based home assistant project running on a Raspberry Pi to automate things in the classroom and annoy my teaching partner. <laughs> I was going to say that <laughs> lots of yeah boys and yeah boom or whatever you've been writing, making Alexis say. It's funny. Yeah. So what I've done is basically added some sensors and some components to our classroom that will will actually react to different things that are happening. So the one that I started this whole project on is making it so that our hand sanitizer dispenser does something fun and interesting that encourages students to to sanitize their hands more frequently because I was noticing that my students weren't really using that even though it was right there. And in order to promote that instead of yelling at them, I wanted to make it something that was fun and delightful and surprising for them. So I took apart the hand sanitizer, hooked up a like an ESP8266 Wi-Fi chip to it so that every time the dispenser triggers, it makes a lamp in the classroom flash colors and Alexa will say one of 15 or 20 different random <laughs> phrases. I, I did have to put a mute button on it for Kelly so that she could mute Alexa, but it makes it so that students want to come in and see what Alexa will say next. And I'm seeing a lot more usage of the hand sanitizer now that we've put that in place. Absolutely. And my sixth graders are starting to use it now that they know what happens with it. So it's, it's pretty cool, I have yeah. to say. I have yeah, to say it's, it's pretty cool even though I don't want to encourage you anymore. <laughs> Oh, just wait. There's going to be more. <laughs> so when my Google starts saying things, then we're going to really, we're really going to be fighting. Exactly. Exactly. It's fun though. Yeah, definitely. So my win is not really mine, but I, I like to claim it. I had my first sixth grader complete the entire newbie bites from PyBytes, all 25 of them. And she was very proud to say that she only cheated and looked at the solution twice out of the 25. And it was at the very beginning when she didn't realize that she probably shouldn't. And she, I think, I don't know, she finished it quick for a sixth grader, brand new to coding, just went through it and pretty much did it all by herself. And it was so amazing. I, I can see that it helped her a lot. She's the one that's jumping up raising her hand and trying to jump out of her chair every time she wants to answer a question that I've asked. 
And it's just a, it's a great feeling to see her excited about the fact that she finished it. And it's not even required, the 25 of them. (laughs) She wanted to do it because it was interesting for her. and, And that is a pretty cool thing to see. I think there are some students who, once they get the hang of it, and there's certainly a, a learning curve, not necessarily for the Python, but that for that process of reading challenges, trying to solve the problems, and then testing solutions and, and a variety of approaches until you get it right, that seems to just resonate with some students. And it takes every student a different amount of time to figure out how they can do it. Yeah, I think the one thing that I really like out of these code challenges, besides the fact that they learn Python, is that reading process that slow down effect that they have, where they have to really sit there and read and dissect everything that's going on. And some of the newbie bites have longer um, passages than the other ones. And it's nice just to see how they can get the information from slowing down and reading. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I always encourage them, if you're not getting it, slow down and read it out loud. And then after every paragraph, ask yourself the question, what did I just learn? What do I not know from this? And how do I how do I improve that knowledge? Or how do I address any gaps that I have in my knowledge? And by chunking it up in, into smaller pieces and spending a little bit more time focusing on each section, their comprehension just goes way up. And I think it goes back to that same thing that, that you were teaching me last year, which is that reading for comprehension is a skill. It's not necessarily something that's intuitive. It's a skill, and like any skill, it can be developed and taught. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, fails, we were talking about this before we started recording. <laughs> I don't know about you, but everything this week just went perfectly. Batting st- a thousand. I never, I'm never telling you anything before we talk about podcasts. That was totally my line that he just stole. <laughs> uh, so, nothing for you, no fails either. <laughs> There's always something. There's always something to learn from, something that's not working right or that needs some work. And whether it's supporting one of the other teachers and something doesn't go right or we miss a a step in the process, at this point, I think we're into this groove of, yeah, there are things that are not going to work and we just move on past it. So nothing this week that stands out. It's, you know, everything that came up, we've been able to solve. Yep. And I don't think I learned from any of my mistakes this week, so it must not have been a fail. So (laughs) (laughs) a fail that I can claim. I didn't realize if I did have one. So we'll see. I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunity next week for some more fails. I'm sure something will come up. It's always a brand new week. (laughs) Awesome. So let's get on with this. (laughs) So something that failed um, before this week is that we are no longer able to participate in robotics competitions except for virtually. As a result of coronavirus, our school has put in place a policy that there's no field trips, there's no travel competitions, nothing where we can go take our students to what we've done in the past, which is to go to a gymnasium somewhere on a Saturday or an outdoor space and make robots compete and try to see who has the best robot with particularly the first Lego League. It's a blanket policy. It's, there's really no robotics competitions we can do this year. So we had to dramatically rethink what we're doing for our robotics class. And Kelly, you, you were the driving force behind this. You were thinking about what can we do? How can we make this work? And a lot of this has been shaped by some of those early conversations that you started with me about what are we going to do and how's this gonna work? Yeah, I've been playing around with that idea with the micro bits, with the built that little cardboard board last year. I was trying to get some sensors, something that was feasible for the student, something that's easy. We've tried a lot of microbit robot kits and 
there's something as much as I love the robot kits I also don't really like them I hate the whole box and go thing and everybody's doing it everybody has the same robot so we started toying around with the idea and I really just want to build a uh, robot wars reenact the robot wars with these micro bits and have this student agency for this for the kids where they can build something of their own kind of like with legos although legos always tend to say look the same anyways the lego bots so yeah that's where the idea was and we've been trying to make it happen so it's pretty cool yeah to me i think the the key was really the when we were doing lego robotics or other kits and everything there's a certain amount of foundational knowledge that's just skimmed over right like it just we're going to assume that the kids don't need to know about servos or they don't need to know about sensors or what they will learn we're going to abstract a lot of that away for them and we're going to make it really easy for them to use and what we're experimenting with this year is why don't we try building some of that foundational knowledge let's go back to the foundations let's go back to the things that are the basics and then build up from there with the theory that if our students really start to grow their knowledge of how a robot moves how it senses how it processes information that when we go back to competitions in future years our kids will have all this rich foundational knowledge that they can build upon that they haven't really had in the past because we've been focused on the competition or the project or all the things that are are really the the deliverables and not the foundations. Yeah, and I think that's one of the the key things that we've gained from not doing the first Lego League. And as much as I love the projects and the, the core values and everything, we have a little bit more time to focus just on the engineering and the design. And, and everybody's doing it and everybody's coding. And I liked how we spent a lot of time in the beginning with this foundation of going through and asking what is a robot. I think normally when we do the Lego League, and and I'm not down in the Lego League, I love the Lego League and everything about it, but we don't really spend that time discussing, look around your world and find out where are robots, where do they exist? And do they, the first thing they always think of is something that either drives or like the, what do they call the dog? What's that company? The, the robot people, not company. <laughs> oh, like the Boston Dynamics. Yeah, Boston Dynamics, yeah. sorry. Yeah. So they think of those robots first. And I think it's going to be something powerful when they realize that it's more, much more with the microcontrollers too. So. Yeah, so there's been a bit of this philosophy part of it. That's where we started, really, was what makes a robot. And we've been borrowing a lot of this model from the Carnegie Mellon Robotics Institute and the training that we went through there where we walked them through this called a SPA model, S-P-A. So sensing, processing, and action that a robot senses its environment. It processes that information according to some programming, and then it takes action as a result, and then just cycles through that hundreds, thousands, millions of times a second. And I think the students are really getting that concept, like it makes sense to them. And knowing that things are more robotic or less robotic is something that they can apply and see. We use the example, like my dishwasher has sensors, it processes information and then it takes action based on that. Does that make it a robot? A little bit, maybe not a lot, but a little bit. So we start with that really basic foundational knowledge and work our way up from there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So we've been implementing a lot of various skills and we have this all kind of mapped out. A lot of people ask us, how do we design our curriculum? Sometimes 
it starts, well, almost every single time, it starts with a huge idea of what we want them to learn. We want them to obviously learn coding and Python. We are making exception for the sixth graders who haven't had computer science yet and still use the make code because we want them to be able to be successful. But we definitely want to focus on the Python and the coding. And we wanted to implement your passion. One of your passions is the the 2D, 3D printing and building stuff that they or making stuff or designing stuff that they create and that they can have moving around. And it's theirs, something that they enjoy. And if you think about the different disciplines that go into robotics, you've got computer science as part of it, you've got mechanical engineering, you've got electrical engineering, you've got sometimes some chemistry with the battery packs and knowing what how much power you have and those sorts of things. But we're really trying to teach all of those aspects as we go through the course with the goal that they can then integrate that all together. So we might be teaching specific skills like 3D design for 3D printing or 2D design for laser cutting, but the goal is that at the end, they're pulling all of this together into a robot that they can make their own. And it doesn't have to be anything spectacular. In fact, sometimes a really bad robot can teach you a ton about how things should fit together. Yeah. and. I hope we're not being too eager about it, and hopefully we can get this done. We do have a whole year for robotics, which is so amazing. So I feel like we can get a lot of stuff accomplished. But it's definitely going to be a fun process. Definitely going to be a fun process. So where did we, going back into what we've just accomplished in the the seven weeks, we talked about robot design, like Sean said. We talked about the spa I like saying the spa. <laughs> and now we're getting into just playing around with certain things. And this is really cool because I really don't know a lot about the electronics part. And so it's like a learning process with me. And we started with servos. You want to? Yeah. Yeah. So we are, we're working with micro bits because they're pretty ubiquitous. We have a lot of them and there's a lot of things that can connect to them. So we're using micro bits as our preferred microcontroller at this point. And we are working with servos as our first piece of connected electronics to it. We went and got, I don't know, we have probably a hundred of these little micro servos that cost maybe a dollar each or a dollar fifty each. They're very inexpensive, but we can pair them up with a micro bit and a little breakout board for the micro bit that allow us to connect it up with jumper wires. And so just this act of how do we turn a servo, how do we move it to a specific position has actually uncovered a lot of different concepts. We have to make a circuit, right? Like we have to power the micro bit. So we're talking about here's your circuit that you have to connect. Why does it have three wires instead of just two? Like we have a red and a black. Okay, a lot of kids have been familiar with that from other projects or batteries or other circuits that they've made, but why does it have a third wire? So then we start talking about sending a signal to the servo to give it positioning information. How do we do that? We have to send pulses to it. So we're going through this whole discovery process together. And admittedly, like you and I are probably, what, two steps ahead, maybe one and a half steps ahead of the <laughs> students in terms of our own learning. We're learning it to be able to teach it. But these these tasks of how do you hook up a servo, how do you make it move, are uncovering a lot of these other, you know, pieces or knowledge that we have to teach to start from the basics and work our way up. Yeah. And I think what I really like though, also about this whole process, as you were talking, I was sitting there thinking about this. It is so tangible for other teachers in terms of financial cost. I think our most expensive item is maybe a breakout board and the microbit itself, but everything else is piecemealed, which 
is a lot different than if, say, you go and buy a, a robot kit offline that has, okay, two wheels, a motor, a plate, a microbit, maybe. No, some of them don't even come with microbits, so you have to buy right. the microbit on top of it. But they don't really have a lot to it, maybe a couple lights or definitely an ultrasonic sensor and stuff. And we are now allowing it so that kids can build what ever they want. And I don't even know what they're going to bring to us on the table. As I was packing the bags, I'm throwing in serve sensors in there and I'm like, I don't know what this sensor does. I'm going to throw this one in for the kids and we're going to see what happens. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. And there's a ton of things that we can do, especially with 3D printing. So our students can work with Fusion 360 or Tinkercad or a variety of different programs and we're gonna start with some really basic designs, but I've seen some cool stuff that work with just servos to start. But there was a servo uh, mechanism that would let you attach it to a light switch. And so you could turn the lights on and off in your room. It's not really robotic, but it's a great stepping stone towards a robot design where you could have some sort of sensor that tripped the lights to go on or off in your room as needed. It's a pretty cool way of getting things going for students and they can think about it, design it, print it. It's not gonna work the first time. They redesign it, they print it again. And we have a few 3D printers that we can use within the school and they can see their designs and ideas actually turn into physical, tangible you know, parts for their robot. And if teachers don't have the 2D, 3D printer, I was even, Sean, Sean said no because he wanted to print, but we have cardboards and popsicle sticks and tape. So anything, I know I saw a student last year, she was building her butterfly wings out of cardboard and taping them onto the servos to make them to move. So if you don't even have the, the 3D printer, you still have these options where kids can still design and, and build stuff. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that could be scavenged, too. You could take students and say, okay, take a, a toy that you have and rip it apart safely. Take the batteries out and stuff like that and be careful with the cutting stuff. A lot of toys that are very inexpensive or not being used, if you take them apart, they have gears inside, they have servos, they have sensors, they have wiring, things that students can repurpose for their robot design, and it doesn't cost you anything. Yep. And so Python, let's talk about the Python codes. We found some simple codes for a lot of the sensors using some of the Adeep packages and code that they've provided. I was working with those last year a lot with the sixth graders, something that's tangible and the kids can easily read the code. And then you were looking at some of the more in-depth, more precision code with classes or functions, I'm not sure. I was using some functions for it, and it took a little bit more understanding of what we're doing with the analog digital converter on the mi on the microbit. But we use the microbit and MicroPython to program these sensors and servos and motors and things. And what's been a little bit challenging about it is that most of this stuff that plugs in or that has been designed for the microbit is designed for make code. So block-based coding, maybe like a PXT file or JavaScript or something like that. And so there's not a lot of MicroPython code. But at the same time, most of this is all either analog, PWM, or maybe like a digital standard like I2C. So the, it's all just hooked up. There's something in there that we could find or make work. We just have to work a little bit harder to figure out what the right code is to make it happen. Harder or smarter? <laughs> 
Both, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so our next step after we get in with the servos, we're going to be building. We found that a couple of claws made out the 2D, 3D, and some linear... Linear actuators. So this is where the mechanical engineering part of this comes in. And this is something that's not my background by training or anything, but there are a lot of great tutorials. You're taking the rotational energy or the rotational movement of the servo and turning that into linear motion through basically a rack and pinion. You've got a little like gear that turns a linear toothed slide back and forth. And now students can see, oh, I can take this angular rotation of the servo and turn that into movement back and forth on this slide and that could be used for a variety of things turning a light switch on and off moving something up and down back and forth it doesn't have to all be rotational like an arm mounted to the servo and what i love about that is you can then go and google and see actual robots in real life that use these kind of servo motors and linear actuator actuators and it's cool so then you're giving them context into what they're designing And then the next stage after that, like once we've got some code, I've got a a basic program now that will move the servo back and forth or step through a variety of different positions. The next step is now we're going to integrate a sensor into that or some sort of input. Can we put a, a potentiometer on it so that as they turn a dial, it moves the servo or a light sensor that the brighter the room is, the more it moves up and down. You could have just silly things like the servo makes the sun rise and set it goes up and down based on how much light is in the room these sorts of ideas of incorporating the sensor some sort of logic and processing and then taking action on it is the fundamental idea of what a robot can do so we can make these things start at a very basic level and then build from there for students yeah and it's it's pretty cool because then you can also differentiate between your lower level coders and your higher level coders, you can give them a simple touch sensor. Touch this and make it go like a button or something. Where I have one of my seventh, eighth graders? Um, yeah. He's asking me for some IR and he's the one answering all the, the questions and he's wanting some heavier duty sensors so that he can do some cooler things with it. So it, this whole ability to piecemeal our own robotic kits makes that range that differentiation happen easier i feel and this we have a standardization across the components we're all using the same micro bits we all have the same breakout boards the same servos sensors things like that so although students are assembling them in different ways or thinking about how to use them in different ways we're all working with the same parts and pieces and can establish that common language and common you know um, understanding of how it's all working and how it's fitting together yeah so it's pretty cool we're gonna yeah so excited about it we have we haven't quite laid out the rest of it but hopefully as the year goes we'll be able to give a little bit more tidbits about what we're doing so after we get the the servo going and the sensors doing something with the servo we're going to go on what we think motors we're going to try out maybe put a wheel on there and get something moving around or something yeah it's pretty exciting. <laughs> I, I definitely think we could get to a point where we are th- then using these kits. Once we've established this foundational knowledge, maybe we will get some of these kits for the students so that they can build upon it. It gives them a, a platform or a foundation to work with 
these more advanced kits. You know, we've looked at things like there's the McQueen Plus kit, which is relatively cheap. Yaboom has some things that are maybe a little bit more expensive, but essentially you can still hook up a micro bit to these and then move them around. You have sensors, you can do classic robotics problems like a line following program. You can do wall sensing, so making sure that the robot can avoid objects. Some of these more advanced robots and micro bits, you can actually hook up boards that will do vi primitive vision sensing on it, look for objects, recognize things. And then if you really want to step it up for students who are advanced, or if you're getting into more complex problems, there's a variety of Raspberry Pis. And I think NVIDIA has a board that's designed to basically be compatible with a Raspberry Pi, but it also includes a GPU for machine learning on it. So there's a lot of things you can do to really take these very basic foundational ideas of movement processing sensors and go to really pretty sophisticated places with them. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still thinking we're going to drive it with the radio and I'm going to put on a little hacking arm and we're going to beat them up on the robot. BattleBots Battle Battle is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> That's all I keep thinking. That's my goal, BattleBots. BattleBot yeah. playoff competition. I, I know the kids would really like that. But they have to start with foundational understanding before they can get there because otherwise if we leave some of these gaps in their knowledge or their foundations aren't strong, we're going to be missing things and we're going to have they're going to have a little bit harder time of troubleshooting and diagnosing like why isn't this working the way i want absolutely so we have and then the other thing that we're looking at too is what's what are our next steps once we create these these primitive robots the ones that are the basics and the starters where do we go from here and there are a couple of things that i thought were really interesting to share and i definitely have in my mind for later in the year once we get it going adafruits just released their clue board a few months ago and it is pin for pin identical to a microbit so you can take one of these clue boards plug it into one of these robots and now you can run circuit python on it it's got a more powerful processor to it has more memory so you can really you know supercharge your robots by bringing in this adafruit board and with that chip and that much memory you can bring in a lot of other libraries that you know, you're, you're not really able to use with the micro bit. So it's a pretty cool way of, of taking the same hardware and swapping it out for a new board that gives you a lot more capability. Yeah, and I'm hoping we'll have some few of our stars out there who will take on a different board. Maybe you can get them into seeing, doing a board that doesn't look like a circuit playground or a clue or micro bit, something that's still in the, not in that beginner mode but taking them out and showing them here's a, another microcontroller and this is where we can do some soldering and we can bring in some higher level skills too yeah i know a lot of our students are really looking forward to soldering again so hopefully we can make that happen for them as well absolutely it's a great exercise it makes me think though I, I didn't even think about this but you were talking about circuit playground boards and that made me think the cricket board from adafruit is also a really great choice here because it has motor attachments servo attachments it has a lot of places where you can connect things and immediately start using these pieces of hardware in circuit python and other places so that's another one that we should probably add to our list we have several of them hanging around that we can use and we can build some robots based on those absolutely exciting times yeah it's a little bit of a short episode we're trying to keep this brief it's still early days for us with our, our robotics lots of questions that we're still trying to answer and address but i think this is a little bit of a glimpse into where we're heading with our robotics program this year 
I don't know that we're gonna end the season with a, a trophy like we have in, in years in some years past anyways. But I think better would be having our students get a better grasp or a deeper understanding of what really goes into making a robot so that when it comes to future years or upper school or more advanced robotics, they are ready to go and feel very confident in their abilities to make more complex robots and more sophisticated solutions to problems. Yeah. And if anybody out there has used the microbit to make their own robots, and we're not talking about the kits because we've, we have those, but where you have allowed this agency, this student design to happen in your classroom, just send us a tweet or send us a message because we're always eager for more ideas of things that worked, things that didn't, although we need some epic fails to talk about later. But yeah, send us some information our way and we'll be happy to look at it, share it, discuss it, whatever. So just to recap, we are in a very different year when it comes to robotics. We are not able to participate in competitions the way we want to. So we're going back to basics. We're working on the foundations of our robotics program, helping our students get the skills that they need for a future year, whether it's a Lego competition, FTC, FRC, um, FIRST Robotics. We're really trying to help them get some foundational knowledge that they can use in the future. And it's a great opportunity for us to bring in some new skills that they maybe haven't used in the past, whether that's electronics and electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, 3D design and printing, coding. We are we're excited about this. And so far, it's been going pretty well. And, and the students are definitely getting into it. I think the students are very engaged compared to um, what they could have been. We have students who are distant learning, students are here, and everyone is really diving in with both feet to figure this out. Absolutely. So cool. That's where we are. (laughs) That's where we are. So it's more of an update and we'll keep you posted throughout the year. For us, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always visit our website at teachingpython.fm. You can tweet to us at teachingpython. Kelly is Kelly Pared on Twitter. I'm SM Tiber on Twitter and S Tiber on Flickr, if anyone's still using that. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to come up with a new one. Yep, Next uh, one's our Pinterest board. <laughs> I don't know what I have on my Pinterest board. Maybe we should do we, a robotics Pinterest board. Yes, done. Okay, we'll start doing a robotics Pinterest board and we'll share that with everyone. Uh, it should be fun to see the things we're looking at. We've got links to some of the kits that we're using as well. So, uh, for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly. Signing off.